John 19, and Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am not bringing him out to you to let you know that I find, I am bringing him out to you to let you know I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where did you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have the power to either free you or crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, and crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, read, read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from the top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happens that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples, whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head 
and gave up his spirit. I don't know if many of you feel the same way as I do, but I feel like it's so easy to fall into the trap of overlooking the actual crucifixion that Jesus went through for us on the cross. And sometimes, sometimes uh, preachers or movies will depict it in such a horrific way that we wouldn't want our kids to watch it. Um, none, and uh, sometimes it's just glazed over. So be- before I began my preparation, I really felt like I personally had lost touch with just the crucifixion, what that really meant for Jesus to die on the cross. And as I was preparing for this talk, I knew there would be kids in here with us. And, you know, there's, so, there's a reason why we don't let our kids watch rated R movies, why we wouldn't even maybe let them watch The Passion of the Christ. Because it's psychologically very troubling to hear what Jesus went through. And so in a, in a mixed crowd like this, um, as I tried to compose this message, you know, I myself, my goal was to experience, you know, what Jesus went through, to really think about it and to reflect on it, and hope to pass this along to you kids and to the adults, a solemn remembrance of what Christ has done for us. You know, with crosses adorning people's tattoos, people's jewelry, men and women, me and Jackie have noticed that, um, you know, people, men, men have become very fashionable for men to wear big crosses now, uh, just as a fashion statement. And, uh, you know, we lose, we lose sight of the fact that that's the equivalent of having a tiny sterling silver electric chair put around your neck. You know, it's an instrument of torture and death. And in fact, one of the most uh, horrific ways someone could be uh, put to death in the time of Jesus. So in the process of, of praying through what, what I might share tonight, I wanted to, to take some time to look back at what Jesus did for, for me and for us. And I feel like as I, I, was, as I was going through this time of preparation, I feel like I got back in touch with not only the crucifixion of Christ, but what, what drew, drove him to give himself up, which is what he did. He gave himself over. His life could not be taken from him. He freely gave it. Um, 600 soldiers came to arrest Jesus after Judas betrayed him with a kiss. And they had daggers, and they had torches, They had lanterns. They were getting ready to find him and to scour the countryside trying to find him. And he just was standing there, not hiding. And they said, are you Jesus? And he said, I am. And everyone fell down because of the power of Jesus saying, I am. I am the God of Moses. I am the same God that said in the Old Testament when Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And God said, I am sent you, send you, sends you. So this power from him saying this, I am, just knocked the soldiers down a couple times. But finally, he gave himself over to them. It was very clear. He had many opportunities to slip through the crowd, and and he'd done that in his ministry before his time had come. But this was the time when God's plan was coming to its fulfillment. Jesus suffered for us because he loves us. He loves his people. That's why... He gave himself. It says in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this. So no one has greater love than this, a person that lays down his life for a friend. And that's what Jesus did. In, the, in Scripture it says, you know, Jesus laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for one another. This is the epitome of love, of self-giving love. 
he gave himself fundamentally because he loves us so much and wanted to have a people to show his, affection, his tender affections to. The cross for us, though, though it is this instrument of torture and death, it represents our, our freedom. It represents our forgiveness of sins and our redemption. It was an ugly punishment that Jesus took on himself willingly. He didn't deserve to die in that way. He'd never sinned or treated anyone with anything less than compassion and love. But he gave himself. He offered himself as a sacrifice for sin because God had to pay for the sins of the world in one shot. God had to pay for the sins of the world. So, so, so Jesus came by the plan of God to die one person for all people to save them, paying for the sins of the world because Jesus loves us. That's why. But let's not forget what Jesus went through for us. You know, Jesus was falsely accused by the governmental and religious leaders of his day. And really, if you want to look very carefully at the story in, in Pilate, you know, Pilate did not want to crucify Jesus. He did not see there was any legal reason to do so. He thought it was ridiculous. But because he was trying to preserve his political position, he, he went along with the crowd out of fear. But Jesus' own people, the Jews in the synagogue, the synagogues he taught at, the religious leaders that were supposed to be his covering, his, his spiritual authority, were the ones that pushed for his crucifixion. Imagine how that must have felt to be falsely accused by, by everybody, including your own people. It's like, like if, uh, if everyone in the church turned on me or turned on someone else in the church that we all know and love. Jesus, after he was, was, was turned over, he was stripped of his garments and made to be completely naked before everybody, where he was whipped by the, by the guards. And they actually made fun of him. They, they uh, dressed him up in a... They, for, at first, they, they whipped him very severely, and then they put a purple robe on him and put a blindfold on him so you couldn't see. And they kind of made fun of his earthly ministry. Jesus had a reputation of healing the sick, of giving sight to the blind, of prophesying accurately and often. So much so that uh, the whole world can contain the books of information about Jesus living this way. And these soldiers actually lined up to Jesus, handed him a, a reed, like it's his scepter, and they came up to him and they, they took turns grabbing the reed and just smacking him and said, hey, prophesy, who hit you? As I was thinking about that experience of being mocked and blindfolded, being beat in a fake royal robe, you know, they were, they were making fun of him as, as a miracle worker. I could picture someone pretending to be de demon-possessed. Oh, Jesus, deliver me, you know. All the things that Jesus had done in his ministry, they're, make, they're making fun of him. You know, he saved other people. Why can't he save himself, they said. And they took turns slapping him. Just when you really think about being slapped, it's a pretty, very personal uh, and they, they took, took turns spitting in his face so that he was covered. After all of this, they tore off his royal robes and put his own garments back on him. It would have been very painful. And they, they forced him to carry this 100-pound crossbeam to the place of the skull where he was to be crucified. 
And they nailed his arms and his feet to the cross and just dropped that wooden beam into that hole they had prepared in the ground, which would have jarred his body once again. As I consider what Jesus went through, actually hanging on the cross seems to be almost not as severe as what he went through before that. Like, it was an extreme ordeal for him. And after he was crucified, it was, it was mercifully only just a few, few hours before his body would give out, probably going into shock, being suffocated, losing blood. But though this was the case, even as Jesus was fading and dying, perhaps even going in and out of consciousness, he made sure to ask the Father to forgive the guards who were crucifying him. You know, Jesus was not a parody of anything. He wasn't like a lovey-dovey hippie person, like they were kind of making fun of him as being, you know, like, here's a miracle worker, blah, blah, blah. You know, he, he was the real deal. And so when he was being crucified, after years of teaching people to turn the other cheek and to forgive enemies, he practiced what he preached, and he said, Lord, forgive these people. Not only did he do this, um, he also heard the cry of a ruthless criminal, likely a murderer, who was being crucified next to him. And this criminal cried out to him and said, Remember me when you enter your paradise. And though Jesus was being crucified and dying, he said, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is a, a scoundrel who had no chance to repent, no chance to change his life. It's as if God was saying, look, it really is my work. This is my work. The cross is enough. It's enough for this guy that can't, do, can't even repent and turn from his sin. He doesn't have the time to do so. The cross is enough. Perhaps in one of the most touching scenes that we read in John 19, Jesus turns to his mother and says, um, let's make sure she's taken care of. John, pretend like she's your mom. He's your son. You know, this is important. And after he had done all of this, Jesus proclaimed, it is finished. And he took his last breath dying on the cross for our sins. And this death on the cross is, is the good news that I have to share with you today. Jesus did not get dragged to the cross. He didn't get forced to the cross. Jesus was in complete control. He could have had thousands of angels come to rescue him at any time and escape death, but he gave himself because he needed to complete the mission that he had come to do, the Father's plan. The will of the Father the plan constructed from the beginning of creation when mankind first sinned against God, where it said, he will, he will, you will crush his head, he will strike your heel. Jesus knew he had to be struck down by sin and death so that God's plan could be brought to fulfillment. And when he saw that everything was in order, he said, it is finished, and gave up his spirit. This word for finished in the Greek is a word that I've talked about before as I preached at New Life. And the root word of that is telos. T-E-L-O-S. It refers to this idea of finishing a mission, completing a project, reaching one's full God-given potential, to bring something to completion, to bring to a conclusion, to, to accomplish, to fulfill, to finish. That's what that means. And Jesus declares that God's mission and reason for sending him to the, to the earth and to the cross was telos, complete. 
So, what did Jesus complete at the cross? First, Jesus was simply saying, I have completed the reason that I came. I came to save sinners. I came for the sick who needed a doctor. I came to provide my blood as a covering for sin so that humankind can be in relationship with God. I came for a people. And that work is done. I finished the work on the cross. An ancient writer uh, shared that, in a way in which this talos word is used. When a servant would, would be given instructions from the master, he would come back having completed the project the master gave him. And he would say, Talos, meaning I have done exactly what you requested. The mission is now accomplished. It is done. And that's what Jesus was saying. It was the, the full mission had been completed. And when Jesus said, it is finished, he's saying before all of his witnesses, before the entire universe, it's done. And we remember that this temple the temple uh, veil was torn in two. Even the temple said, said with Jesus, it is finished. There's no more blocking God's presence from people and buffering them. Moses had, a, had to veil his face in God's presence. Now with unveiled faces, we can come to God. That's what the Bible says. So this is a huge victory, and that's what gospel means. It means, it means like a victory, good news of victory in battle. That's gospel. Good news of victory. The mission was complete. And Jesus was fully faithful to the assignment the Father gave him. Right through the letter. And if you look in, in Isaiah 53 and, and other parts of Isaiah, you see that the exact directions the Father had in that prophecy were completed by Jesus. Every single one of them. There's many, many of those prophecies. <coughs> the word talos, or, or complete, is also... The, word, the Hebrew word, the equivalent of the Hebrew word spoken by the high priest when he presented the sacrificial lamb without a spot or a wrinkle on the Day of Atonement. So the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies. He'd pour the blood of the spotless lamb onto the altar, onto the mercy seat. And the moment that blood touched the mercy seat, atonement was made for the people's sins for another year. It's finished. Year after year, the priest had to do this duty with fear and trembling. But now Jesus is saying, it is finished. This sacrificial system is done. There's no more need to sacrifice bulls and goats and to follow all these, uh, to, to come to God through a priest's mediation. Everyone can come directly to me through Jesus, through the sacrifice of this spotless lamb. So in a way, Jesus was both the high priest and the spotless lamb on the cross. He was presenting himself as the spotless lamb to God. And in that way, it is finished. No more sacrifice. Hebrews 9, 12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by Jesus' own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Jesus is offering himself as the high priest, as the blemished, unblemished lamb, is the ultimate sacrifice. Once for all, the end of sacrifice. God made the sacrifice. The word telos was often used as well in, in, the, in, in the business world to signify the full payment of a debt. So they would say, this debt is paid. They'd stamp it, telos. 
the debt is paid. Every debt that every human and humankind has ever had against God got stamped. Gets stamped when someone looks to Jesus as their payment. Tell us, it's finished. For some of you that are paying a mortgage like we are, or paying for car payments, or paying for your college, you people that have gone deep, deep into college, you know, those bills just keep coming. Um, and, and sometimes it feels insurmountable. Like, are we going to be able to make, buy groceries this month looking at these bills? Imagine if you got all those bills in the mail and they just said, telos on them, it's finished. Someone paid the debt for you. And that's what God did. He fulfilled a covenantal transaction, which is like a, bit, which is like a deal. Like God made a deal with people in, in the, called the Old Covenant. Um, and Jesus stamped that and said, it's done, it is finished. This covenant is over. There's a new covenant coming. So once someone accepts Jesus as Lord of their life and receives payment for their sins, it is finished. It's paid for. No worries. You're free. That's why Paul writes in Colossians 1, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. It is finished. The debt is paid for. Finally, this word telos is used in classical Greek literature in a way to, de- to depict a turning point in a, in a story or a turning point in history when one thing ended and another thing began. And when Jesus said it is finished, this was the turning point for the entire history of the world. You know, that we are separated by BCE and, and AD, whatever the, I know the layers change every two years now um, to talk about time. But Jesus' death and resurrection literally split up our calendar. Um, it's something that is, uh, that brought the Old Testament story to its completion and fulfillment that we've been reading about in, in, in church from week to week, you know, all the way up to, to uh, the Second Temple. And it says, this, this time is done. The New Testament needs to begin now. And that's what happened. The New Testament began to be written. And the cross divided human history. So when Jesus cried out, it is finished, telos, all the Old Testament prophecies, they are fulfilled in me. Just, the justice of God has been fully met, right? The sacrifices prescribed in the Old Testament cease permanently. And so it was finished. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. That he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. So in the cross, in this transaction, it is finished. If you are full of pain and grief and suffering, you know, in Christ, it's finished. He carries our sorrow. He pulls us out of the traps of the enemy. Heals us of our wounds. And forgives us of our sins. So as we think about the cross this evening, this, these two things I want you to think about. Jesus went to the cross willingly. He chose to do it, even though it seemed really unfair when you read the story. We read this last night, kids. It seemed really unfair what happened. Um, but really, you have to know that Jesus was giving himself willingly 
for our sins. And he did that because he actually loves us. He loves his people and wants to have a relationship with them. The price of our salvation, the price of our liberation, the price of physical healing and deliverance and answered prayer and justice has been paid. It is finished. The old covenant has ended. We are in the new covenant in Christ by his blood. It is finished. From one end to the other, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, when he cried out, it is finished, it was comprehensive. Your debt's paid. This was the, the fulcrum on which history turns. So as, we, as we close with the song, let's just never lose sight. Yes, the crucifixion is horrific. Yes, it was a terrible thing that Jesus went through. But he did it for the joy set before him of finishing the work that God had sent him to do. And I'm sure that when Jesus was dying on the cross, having been with God in the beginning and seen everything with God, because he is God, he was thinking about all of the frustration and the pain of his people coming to him, falling away from them, wandering, sinning, all that. And he was taking all of that on himself. And he was also thinking about all of those who would come after him. He took all of that on himself. And for all of us, it is finished.